Hey everybody, welcome back once again to America's Game, episode number 11. And I am here once again with my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, what's going on, man? Hey Eric, how are you? Happy week three. Seems like it's like week seven at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think I said it last week. I, I try to enjoy... One of the most fascinating things is just enjoying the the weekly ups and downs, the weekly, I guess, job duties at this point of what it takes for an NFL week, right? Like mm-hmm. from watching games on Sunday to like you kind of have this this lull to where Monday is just digesting what happened on Sunday. And then you obviously have the primetime game on Monday. Tuesday is all about, you know kind of figuring out what happened last week and where do I start with the new week? But then it just goes through the rest of this week where you're following injuries. You're starting to create narratives for the upcoming weeks, doing waivers, setting initial lineups on Thursday. But I I really do as much as it can be a grind. I really do enjoy the process of the weekly game in the season, you know? So glad to be here week three. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things change from week to week, like you said. You know, last week we were talking about Trey Lance and his value, and then here comes another total 180 complete turn. He breaks his ankle, and now, you know, things completely changed again. So we could talk about that here um, a little later about his his value now that he uh, broke his ankle and all that. But, yeah, man, you had some exciting news drop today. Um you're going to be on the Destination Devi team now, and you're going to be pretty much the head of all the Dynasty content for Destination Devi, man. So congratulations, first off. And um, what can uh, what can the people expect uh, with you taking over and doing a, a show and all that? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, the news came out uh, Friday on Wake Up that uh, I'll be doing the Dynasty show or – you know, a, a dynasty show on uh, doing the dynasty content for Destination Devi. I mean, we already have tons of people that are super smart when it comes to dynasty, right? Like, there's already people there that are doing dynasty stuff daily, whether it's behind the scenes or whether they're doing it on shows. I mean, we've talked 90% dynasty on this show too. So it's not like it's going to be me doing everything dynasty. Uh, but it's going to be basically just like the flagship Dynasty show. Uh, people have already DM'd me and said, is it going to replace Dynasty and Chill? I did put out an announcement on Dynasty and Chill that Dynasty and Chill is ending. Uh, for now, you know, you never know. I'm still going to keep the feed active. But, you know, that that was something that I did for three years. And just transitioning to a new show, it's not going to be Dynasty and Chill. It's probably not going to be some of the two and a half hour marathons that I did on Dynasty and Chill. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of a different variation, but um, yeah, you can expect a weekly show. Uh, there'll definitely be more engagement. Uh, definitely be some some YouTube content to where we can engage with people, uh, engage with the people, like Ray likes to say. Uh, so it's not going to all be just me talking about Dynasty Theory or portfolio. There's going to be some interviews, but there's also going to be like, hey, let's just let's just talk Dynasty. Like honestly, I, I envision there being a sector of the show that is just like our Heisman voice chat, but on a show, you know, with an expanded group of people like Ray's AMA that he did for the patrons. Like there were people that I've never heard of, or I've never met that are up there asking questions. And there's a lot of sharp minds that aren't necessarily people we interact with on a daily basis. So it's just going to be, it's a new venture. 
Uh, and there's a lot of things that Ray and I have talked about uh, behind the scenes that like we want to do. Uh, and I, I just want to thank him and Jay Rich and the whole team for, you know, thinking of me. It's an honor for them to ask me to take the position. Uh, but also the support that I'm envisioning and that I've already gotten from them. You know what I mean? And I think you feel the same way. Like, hey, I want to do a podcast or, hey, I want to talk about this or, hey, I want to work on developing this. And it's like, all right. Let's go for it. We'll support you. Like, we'll do everything we can. That's a good idea. It's never, hey, that's not what we want DD to be about. You know what I mean? Or that's not the direction we're going. It seems like everything is just like, yeah, I'm open to that idea. Uh, so that's why I'm here. Been just looking forward to seeing where it grows to. But yeah, thank you for uh, the recognition. I appreciate that. And I'll still be on America's game most of the time. I mean, Eric may have another host at some point, like for a random episode or two somewhere, but you'll still hit me on America's game because you're, you're probably my best friend in this space. No joke. So just getting to hang out with you and do the show is, uh, you know, I look forward to this every week. It's not even really a podcast. It's just like a hangout session with you. So thank you. Right. Yeah, no, I appreciate that very much. And I know you got a, a whole lot going on. You still got, uh, you know, you're still going to keep dynasty and chill around, you know, you still have the, the group me and, and all that. You're going to have uh, your trades in five stuff, your DLF stuff, like all that stuff's still going to exist too. So, I mean, you're going to have, you know, definitely a full plate. So I, I definitely get it. But I agree with you too with what what you said on Ray and Jay Rich and, and the whole team, just all the support we've gotten. And I've seen all the um, shout outs on Twitter that you've gotten today, you know, thank or congratulating you and all that. It's well deserved. You know, you've built your dynasty and chill community from, you know, from scratch to what it is now and everyone, you know, sees that and sees all the hard work that you've put in and all the info that you give to everybody in the space, you know, everybody appreciates the hell out of it. I know I do myself, like I've gotten 30 times smarter just by talking with you about stuff every single week. So, and I'm sure everyone else is doing the same. So yeah, I'm glad that, you know, you're getting this opportunity. You're going to, you know, get more recognition out there like you deserve that you've earned. So I'm, I'm glad for that too. Like I told you the one day, like, man, this is, this is, uh, we need to get you, uh, on mind a mansion, you know, get you on football guys, get you with Sigmund Bloom on the couch one day, you know, all that stuff's going to be coming here within the next year, I predict. So we'll get you on those shows too. get you some more recognition on some of those bigger shows. And then obviously your show, it's going to be big and we'll get it going too. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, that's, uh, I think it just opens up a whole new door of, I mean, listen, I've, I've done a podcast for three years. I've done probably 500 podcast appearances throughout doing my own show and guest appearances and stuff, but it's just interesting to see like, where, where is this space going to go in five years? I mean, think about when we first started listening to podcasts, right? Like we first started listening to podcasts before they really became like, you know, there, there wasn't a billion podcasts when we first started mm -hmm. listening to them. You know, we were right. listening to football podcasts and uh, fantasy podcasts, especially not so much dynasty, but I've been listening to fantasy podcasts for almost 10 years. Yep. And then the dynasty podcasts like blew up, you know, three, four five years ago to where like everyone was launching one. But now I think it's, I mean, podcasts are fine. YouTube channels are fine, but I, it's good to be part of a team to where like, I don't know where this space is going to go. You know, I don't know where the content space is going to go in the next couple of years. 
Uh, but I think we have a great team of people that are all thinking about that on a daily basis, you know, like, okay, what can we maybe do that someone else hasn't done yet? Or what can we offer from like a personal interaction standpoint that nobody else is offering? So I think that's what's cool is to have a team of people now that are doing the same thing that I've been doing for years going like, okay, what, what is next? Is it just three shows a week? And, you know, you show up every other week and do a, you know, an AMA chat or a Zoom chat or something like that. But what what's the next level? So it's cool to be part of a team that everyone is thinking about what the next level is. So yeah, it should be exciting and uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah, and then this will be your first really, you know, YouTube stuff. You've been doing stuff on the trades and five, but stuff on your own. This will be your first time kind of doing that. So that'll be cool to see how that, you know, evolves over time as well to see how you do with that you know be more interactive with the crowd you know you're you're obviously used to doing you know podcasts with just one person you're interviewing and talking with in the space or or whatnot but now you'll have you know people commenting in live real time while you're doing the show i I mean i imagine you'll probably just go live and just take questions you know for some shows just from people or if they super chat or whatever so that'll be cool too so i'm looking forward to that Yep. That's a, that's, that's part of the reason I wanted to do this was to have the flexibility to, you know, I could have always done that with my own channel, but it was almost like I was just in my comfort zone, you know, making a podcast, being able to put it out after it's been edited, made sure everything that I wanted in it was there. Whereas if you say, Hey, I'm doing an hour long show. This is going to be the dynasty show for this week. Uh, it's going live on, you know, a Friday night and then it'll be posted on the podcast feed a couple days later. Who knows what's going to come up in that hour? You know, I can plan maybe a topic to start and then it goes in a totally different direction. And mm-hmm. let's see, you and I, or you get people like you and I on a show and what always happens? Hey, Eric, this is going to be an hour long show. We're going to cover six topics. And then we're 50 minutes in and we're about one and a half topics in. Yeah, You know, that's how I envision a lot of it going, but I love it because it's, you can spot the people in the space that, have a passion for this and they're not just doing it for Twitter follows or clicks or anything like that. And that is what I've gotten the most out of the community that we have. We have a group of people that like every single day, they want to talk dynasty. They want to talk crop bets. They want to talk DFS that, you know what I mean? It's like every single day they're there because it's literally like in their blood. And I think that's how we are. I think that's why people listen to this show. I think that's why people like, our dynasty content, honestly, yeah. it's like I can relate to the other degenerate and it's nobody else in my life understands. Like you ever gone to your parents or your friends and you're like, Hey, you know, you, you guys into dynasty. And they're like, what the hell is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's a niche. So when you find other people, like you want to surround yourself with those other people that you can relate to the same thing with. So yeah, just yeah. glad to be here and uh, we'll see where it goes, man. We'll see where it goes. Yeah, like I could sit there with you and me and you can argue about who would you rather have, Jalen Warren or Snoop Connor, and we can have a 20-minute argument on that, and 95% of those people be like, who the hell are those two players? I've never heard of them before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, but that's – like I'll, I'll give a shout-out to my co-host on Trades in 5, Shane Manila. Like he's the guy that would – I mean he can – don't get me wrong. He can have those arguments too, because he's truly a degenerate, but he'll also like bring me back to the conversation and be like, Scott, listen, both those guys are trash cans. Who cares? 
Why are you spending 20 minutes talking about these players? You know what I mean? Right. But like, yeah, we can go down rabbit holes where we're talking, you know, you especially. I mean, that's something you love is like literally grinding every single player on taxi squads, you know? And ultimately, what is the what is the difference between those players at that level from an actual like dynasty impact? Uh, very low, right? Like, do they even yeah. register on the warp scale at all? Probably not. No, they're probably in the negative. <laughs> it definitely in the negative when you're talking about the time value of uh, time value of money that you're spending on it. If you give you know Jalen Warren versus Snoop Connor five hours worth of time, you probably lost money on that conversation. Yeah. But anyway, it you love it, so that's why you do it, and you're like, oh, I don't care if. if that's the show for this week. Like that's the show. I mean, who cares? I, I talked about yeah. what I want to talk about. So, right. Well, I wanted to get into the show here and this week talk a little bit about um, one of our most listened to episodes was our warp episodes. We did the rookie draft pick warp and the player warp episode. So after two weeks, uh, dynasty Barry and our, um, discord channel uh in the heisman tier shout out to to db he um created a little bit of a a tool here to use for just a standard 12 team start 10 full ppr no tight end premium uh quarterback touchdowns or six and minus two for interceptions he made a, a little bit of a warp model um using just those um league settings for us and I kind of wanted to just review it with you a little bit and kind of look at, man, who's in the top 10, who's not in the top 10s of some of these positions and kind of just talk it out and see like, man, like, should we be valuing this guy a little bit higher than we than we have in the past? Or, man, this guy is almost a negative warp value. Should we be looking to move him? Uh, you know? just kind of go over some different ones. So we'll go over the quarterbacks first and starting with, I'll go, I'll give you the top 10 right now. Uh, Josh Allen, he is the leading um, guy at the, with the warp at 6.27 wins above replacement right now. So that obviously these numbers are going to change. Like no one's going to have a six or a five, you know, it's, it's usually like 1.5 twos, threes, somewhere in there. But having like this high is probably not going to be something that's normal. Um, but yeah, Josh Allen's at 6.27 right now. Lamar Jackson at 5.91. Carson Wentz is third at 5.59. Patrick Mahomes is 4.91. And Tua Tagovailoa is 4.8 in fifth place. So out of that top five, other than, I mean, Carson Wentz is um, an outlier, I think. Do you... Do you think these other guys are, you know, pretty much going to be top five guys for the rest of the year, maybe? Uh, I mean, rest of the year, I don't know. I mean, here, here's what I'll say, because we're going to go through a lot of numbers. Uh, people are going to probably go, well, how do I see those numbers? What do they mean? How are they calculated? I, I think we just have to just remind everybody that you're trying to measure uh, wins contributed by the player. So wins above replacement player or wins over replacement player. And yeah, Eric's right. Like it's a small sample size. So literally a player could have an absolutely horrible game and it could completely go the other way because it's such a small sample size. I think what's, what's most interesting about this, forget about the sample size, forget about the fact that we're only two weeks in. It's trying to spot 
trends. And I think one thing that will change is going to be the relativity of the positions too, because depending on, you know, bye weeks coming through and depending on also like, you know, the starting lineup requirements obviously could change some of these too. So a lot of this data could change if you adjusted a couple things. I think the most important thing to look at is how these are relative to each position. So it's hard to compare in only two games. It's hard to compare like wide receivers to running backs or wide receivers to quarterbacks. I mean, you can look at the numbers, but it's such a small sample size that I'm not really comfortable saying like, all right, this is, this is the obvious one over that. Right. But I think position to position, I think the easiest thing we can spot is the trends of how these line up with our valuations of the players in dynasty. Right. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know dynasty is more than just one year worth of data, but I think for dynasty, a lot of times we, we value players because of a lot of peripheral things until we get to the season. And then we value everybody for what's their impact week to week. It didn't used to be that way, but in dynasty today, like, wouldn't you agree that a lot of valuations on players, especially like wide receivers are almost always just, they're just valued based on like what happened the last week. Right. Like a guy comes off a good week, his value shoots up, comes off a bad week, his value goes down. And it might not even be the price you have to pay to get them or what you can sell them for. But you've definitely noticed, like, do do more people in your league this week, Eric, want to buy Garrett Wilson than they did last week? Yeah, Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown's a hot one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Kirk, that's another one that I've seen bounced around. Uh, Dallas Goddard, I've gotten a couple offers on Dallas Goddard. So, yeah, I've definitely and, seen that in my leagues. And here's the difference, and this is something that, I, that Warp can't measure. And even I don't have a good way to measure this because it's a lot of it's intuitive. Mm-hmm. Garrett Wilson didn't change from week one to week two. Okay. His profile didn't change. His draft capital didn't change. His situation didn't change. Nothing changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there weren't people that didn't want to sell Garrett Wilson before week two, right? Because he just had a smash game. And looked like, okay, that's his coming out party. Uh, that's his coming out party. He's a top five receiver. He buried Elijah Moore. He did all of that in one week, right? So let's just right. shoot his dynasty value up to, um, I think Rotoviz now has him in the top 15 in dynasty. Right. I'm just fighting Rotoviz because they updated their rankings. But it's like, all right, so now he's a top 15 receiver in dynasty overnight, right? One good game. Mm-hmm. But I don't think what's raising him up to top 15 in Dynasty shouldn't have raised him up at any point until he had the good game, right? Like it was, he was bound to get there if he had a good game. The reason you would even value him as what you did before was because you think he's good enough to have a good game and have a breakout game and then ascend into this range, right? I think the difference that we don't do a good job of measuring is someone would have been willing to sell Garrett Wilson at a market or above market price before week two, right? Mm -hmm. You still would have had to pay because this is the guy that probably drafted him 103, 104 in the rookie draft. Okay. So he wasn't a player where you're like, oh, he's so bad that I'll take any first to get out of him, right? Clearly not. But he was a player that if you would have gone to somebody and said, Eric, you have Garrett Wilson, I will give you a 23 first 
and DJ Chark. Would you have accepted it? No, I I was I had uh, sorry I had Garrett Wilson as my number one wide receiver in my rookie class this year. So I valued him over like Ray, who had Drake London and Traylon, you know, above him. Like so, Garrett Wilson was my guy in this draft. So I overvalued him probably compared to everybody else. But would you have sold him for a twenty-three first plus? <clears throat> Yeah, depending on the offer, yeah, I, I would have definitely considered it, yeah. Okay, and maybe the, the plus of DJ Chark isn't a great example. But mm-hmm. the idea is if you would have gotten a tempting offer in your inbox before week two that included a 23 first, you would immediately – what would your mind have done when you got that offer? What would it have done? Just think through – I send you a 23 first, and I'm trying to think of a player that would have tempted you enough – like to where you're like, huh, that's interesting. It's probably like a Gabriel Davis, especially after coming off a of week one with his good game. See, and I and I don't know if I don't know if it would have even taken that much. How about um Amari Cooper and a 23 first? Okay. Mm-hmm. Now that's a play, that's a receiver that is probably at his age apex. He's 28 years old. Presumably was gonna have a bad year until Watson came back, yet he's had two great games in three weeks now. Right. So now, not that you would have known that after week one, week one, he dudded. So week yeah. one, you would have been like, Oh, he's garbage. So maybe he isn't the best example, but I think you get my point. It would have been an intriguing enough receiver to where they're basically like a wide receiver three, but they're old enough to where you don't see their value exploding. Right. But right, I put yeah. that offer in your inbox. I go Amari Cooper and a 23 first. Walk me through what your mind does when you get that offer. Assume, forget about whether you're a contender or rebuilding or anything. I mean, obviously those things do factor team from team. Right. But it's an offer that you didn't decline the second I sent it to you. Where does your mind go when you get that offer? It's a 23 first plus you're squinting going like, hey, that guy could be a top 36 receiver. Knowing the warp data that you know, knowing kind of how you play, what would your mind have gone through? Walk me through your thought process when you get that offer. So first, I would go and see which team's first it is. Like if it's that guy who's offering me the trade, is it his first or is it somebody else's first that he got? And I'm going to look through that roster specifically and just kind of look and eyeball, hey, where do I think this roster could end up finishing? Could it be... You know, is it a team with that, you know, kind of like a team that you would build that I know, hey, this probably is going to be a definitely a back end first round pick. And I see, you know, it's a Scott Connor roster. He probably has Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts on it. So, you know, something like that where, man, he has those two quarterbacks. He probably has a couple pieces at running back, a couple pieces at receiver. You know, he's already one and oh, smash this week was the high scoring team of the week or whatnot. And probably just look at that and eyeball it. Okay, that's probably a late first. So that's kind of what I always do with those kind of offers. I'm just eyeballing that team's roster real quick to see where I would value that team. And if it's a pretty solid team, you know, I'm probably going to value it at the back end. So 110, 111, 112, somewhere in there. So I'm kind of valuing that. And then I'm kind of looking at, you know, our college ADP, just keeping that in the back of my head of, okay, that this is where these certain players are going um, in our mock drafts that we do. 
for fantasy and for uh, destination Devi to see where those guys uh, who's being valued at the 110, the 111, the 112. So right now it's like JSN's being valued there and Sean Tucker and Zach Evans, players like that. I'm looking to see, okay, so if I get, you know, those players, you know, I'm adding that. So, so like, so Zach Evans and Amari Cooper for Garrett Wilson, I'm kind of looking at that. Um, as a potential and to see what I would use on my team. Now it could, you know, definitely change obviously with, um, you know, each player or uh, each rookie that would come up, you know, quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end. I'm going to value each one of that different um, looking at my roster and seeing just exactly, you know, where I'm positioned. Like, do I need running back? Do I need receiver? I'm going to be looking at that just to kind of see, all right, is this a trade that could benefit me if I could hit on, okay, this is a solid running back class. Can I hit on a couple of those running backs at the back end of the draft? Plus I'm getting a receiver right now to replace Garrett Wilson. Can I make that work? So that's kind of my first thoughts when I go in through and look at it. I like that. So basically if you're getting a first, you're assessing the team you're getting the first of. That's the first thing you're doing. You're you're trying to bracket right. that first without spending more than a couple minutes. You're trying to figure out early pick, late pick, mid pick, you know, you're trying to assess the pick. Now, I will say the majority and I said this today on Twitter because we're going back and forth with these offers on some players and it's like the majority of people that know they have a top 4 pick, they're not sending out ram spam offers for it right? Most people just aren't. They know when their team sucks. They know when they have a pick. Even if if you don't have your own pick, if you're holding the pick where you're like, yeah, that team's finished last two years in a row. Their quarterbacks are Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield. Like you're not spamming that pick to try to buy whatever's hot this week. You know what I mean? You're not spamming that pick. I would guess you're probably going, Hey, do I have a 24 first? Do I have another first? You know, that's probably not the first thing you're going spamming with. So I think inherently a lot of the spam trades where people are trying to buy a certain type of proto, a certain type of player or a prototype of a certain player, they're usually using their mid to late first. You would agree with that, right? Yeah, for sure. So let's just assume you get the offer. You think, hey, because sometimes, honestly, the best deals that you can make in Dynasty are the ones where you are taking on the teams first that thinks they're good, but they also look like they have a couple things away going wrong for them away from being 103, 104, you know, Th- those are oftentimes the teams that do spam their picks because they go, man, it's week one. I, I want to try to go for it this year, but I don't have a stacked enough team that I think I can go for it. So let me trade my pick away early. Let me trade that mid first early to try to push it up to where it's a late first. Cause I'm going to add some talent, right? I'm going to add some points. So I've also noticed where early in the year, the team that's the best team in the league. And I'm guilty of this. I have some stacked teams. They're two and oh, I look at the projections this week. I'm favored to win by 50 points. Why would I blow my first right now? I have no incentive, right? I have no incentive. I mean, I know my first is probably going to be late, but the whole league sees my first is late. Why would I spend it right now? When I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go 3-0 and in this league. That's fine. If I suffer an injury this week, then maybe next week I'm trying to maybe backfill my, my roster using that pick. But why would I spend it now when I don't need it? So I think it's the mid-teams, the mid-first teams that are going, you know what? I need to make a big move 
to bet on my team. Those are the ones that are sending out these deals. Now, here's my whole point. We spent 10 minutes getting to this point. I send you that offer before week two. You probably think about that offer. If that could be a 105, 106, and you're contending and you're like, damn, Amari Cooper, he can help me get by, but then, man, he could be good at the end of the year, right? You could still win and win that trade if you end up with the 105 or 106 because all you traded away was a wide receiver. You, and, and then the next part of your thinking probably goes something like this. Well, okay, I'm, that's a good offer. I might be willing to accept that. What's the next part of your brain do with Garrett Wilson and the warp data and stuff like that? Where does your next level of thinking go with, well, what are Garrett Wilson's range of outcomes? Walk me through that. Yeah, so kind of just thinking about his outcomes, man, it would depend a lot on Zach Wilson, and we haven't even seen him with Zach Wilson yet. This is all with Flacco. Like, everything could change once Wilson comes back. Like, Wilson could just be like, well, no, fuck it. Elijah Moore's my guy. I'm going to just throw it up to Elijah Moore or Corey Davis or whoever it is. And, like, Wilson's value could go, you know, down, you know, just in a couple weeks where he's getting two targets and, you know, he's not getting targeted by Zach Wilson at all. So just looking at that, like, you know, kind of va- valuing that, I would have to kind of see where he would play with Zach Wilson first, you know? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with you. Yeah. But is it a guarantee that Garrett Wilson has a better career than Terry McLaurin or DJ Moore? No. Okay, so you're immediately thinking, and I'm not saying he's better or worse than those guys, but yeah. I think the next level of your thinking when you're talking about a receiver in that range is – you're kind of weighing the odds that you think he can become Stefan Diggs or he can become Terry McLaurin. You know what I mean? And you're going like, if he's Terry McLaurin, this isn't a terrible deal because I can probably get another Garrett Wilson next year, right? Even if it's the wide receiver two in the class, like you're okay hitting that reset button, but you'd also don't have to draft Garrett Wilson next year. If Amari Cooper can give you another year, you now have a pick and a player that might be able to help you in a one or two year window. That's the type of deal. That's how you assess that deal in your head, right? Mm-hmm. So fast forward. Garrett Wilson smashes last week. Here's the difference. You send that offer today. There's a very good chance the person just declines it. Right. They're not trading the guy that just came off a game to where if he has another game like that, and then another game like that, like you're looking at, okay, maybe he's going to have a, you know, I don't want to say a Justin Jefferson season, but. But like, like C.D. Lamb, yeah. Like, well, not not even C.D. Lamb. Like I, basically they're starting to tell themselves a story that I can get double this at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, is that realistic? Historically, you'd you'd say no. That's probably not what's going to happen. Garrett Wilson's not going to have nine games like he did last week this year. Mm-hmm. But the psyche of the person you just sent that trade to, it's almost like an auto decline right now. You know what I mean? Like they're right. not trading him now. They'll wait till he has a bad game, and then they may consider the same type of trade again. Mm-hmm. And that's. That's the fluidity of the dynasty market. And that's something that's been fascinating to me over the last couple of years because it's literally week to week. And I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We're, we're out there going like, hey, I want to buy some more Drake London this week. You know, I want to buy some more Garrett Wilson. I want to buy some more Traylon Burks. I want to buy some more Chris Olave after his 365 air yards, you know, and 14 yeah. targets. Like 
everyone wants those guys this week. And so the success of being able to trade for him is almost like it isn't that you don't you're going to have to pay a high price regardless. The the person you having Garrett Wilson on your team, you are going to charge a certain price no matter what. You're probably more you're more or less likely to trade him based on what's currently trending, right? Hmm. Like you're are, are you even shy of someone sending you what you think the peak price could be on Drake London in six months? Are you even shopping him in leagues? No, I'm not even like when I go to, to MFL and go to my trade bait, like I just skip by his name. I don't even right. mark him. <laughs> right. And if you put him on the trade block, it'd be like, I need at least two twenty three first. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have to buy what I think his price could be in six to 12 months. Otherwise we're not even starting a conversation. Whereas I don't think you feel that way about George Pickens or Sky Moore or, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like you'd probably at least entertain offers on those guys. And that's the difference. That's something that I've never really thought about much. And I've talked about it. I've hinted on it on prior podcasts. Sometimes the value difference in Dynasty is not what you can sell or what you can buy for. It's how willing is the other person actually willing to give you information on what it would cost to get them. The availability of the player. And it leads me to believe that really what you got to do is I don't want to say you have to forecast or predict when these things are going to happen, but you kind of have to be willing to go against the market to get some of these deals done. You either need to be way ahead of the market. Like we talked about it in the DNC patron chat today, like people sending out two plus first to get Drake London and other people were pushing back going, man, I don't want to blow two plus first on Drake London. Yeah. But some people chimed in and it's like, if Drake London has a 1200 yard season, Eric, He's worth three firsts. Mm. So paying two firsts is just a bet that, hey, you know, I'm betting that he has an outcome that puts him up in the three first range. And I and I actually bought low. You know what I mean? So I think that's the that's the difference now than five years ago. Everyone is up to speed on what players cost. There's 20, 30, 40 different places you can go to try to find values. There's podcasts throughout the through the roof talking about who you should buy, who you should sell, you know, why you should buy, why you should sell. You know, you just laid out an argument of why maybe Garrett Wilson could be a sell. Well, if Zach Wilson's garbage, he's going to probably suffer for the next two years. But everyone knows that. Everyone that's in there going back and forth with us on trades, they already know all this stuff. This isn't an advantage to be like, oh, yeah, we're a week early on buying Drake London low. You know what I mean? Everyone that has him probably is already digesting the same stuff. So I think that's the biggest thing that's just fascinating to me. So I know I went off on a tangent, but I think it that's a great example of like, this is a week to week market, man. Whoever's hot next week is going to be the ones that you probably should have bought this week, but you had to buy at the convicted price. You had to be willing to pay the 10 to 20% over market when the guy was coming off two bad games or before he had had that big game. And I think that's why we're so far, we're so into looking at, data and usage and all of that stuff, trying to predict when it's going to happen versus I saw it happen. Let me go try to buy. Cause most of the time when you go to try to buy after it happened, the person just won't sell. Right. So, I mean, kind of just looking at the quarterback warp, I mean, like two is the perfect example. Like we, after week one, you could have maybe got, traded a 2023 first form straight up. Um, now you're probably definitely paying two 2023 first to get to a, don't you think? Yeah, except 
it's interesting because this is an example of it probably being the opposite way. Like, and part of this goes deeper than what I just talked about with Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson was a rookie, right? Right. He's a guy that everyone already valued because of his profile. He's 22 years old, first round pick. He had all that stuff going for him. The only thing he didn't have going for him is he has a, a smash game. And then he has a smash game in the fashion that he did. So he's almost got like a perfect profile right now. The only argument against him is, well, he's on the Jets. We don't know what the Jets offense is going to be. With Tua, I think it's the opposite. And this is something I want to ask you about. Here's the thing. If I go to leagues where I have Tua and I spam for everybody's two firsts, mm-hmm. I don't know if I get a lot of those trades accepted. Yeah, I don't think definitely I don't think I'm getting two twenty-three firsts if I spam. Yeah. So why? The same logic that applies to someone would buy on Garrett Wilson trying to buy on the way up. The psychology of buying two is like if I'm buying two of this week, I'm the sucker in the room. You know what I mean? I'm the sucker in the room paying more than what he's really worth. And so that's where the psychology of where these players started, where they're at, and where they could go comes into play. And Ray, Ray talks about this all the time. Like, man. A lot of times the analysis of players should basically be what the hell does everyone think about him? I don't care if this guy, ha- I don't care if James Robinson is the greatest running back in the world. Like 40% of the community are always going to be out on him because he tore his Achilles and he's never going to be able to get rid of that. So you ever think you're going to be able to sell James Robinson for a 23 first plus? No. Even if he runs off 10 straight 20 plus point games, you know what I mean? Right. I get it. It's yeah, just, Kenneth Walker runs off two straight twenty-three or twenty-plus point games, and people are paying two firsts. Yeah, so it's like just the the psychology difference is fascinating to me. So no, I think I think two is the example of you don't try to sell Tua now because everyone's going, oh, he thinks I'm the sucker. You know, I'm I'm buying Tua off his best game. So right. yeah, how how do you handle a guy like Tua? What what do you do if you have him? Honestly, I'm kind of just buying into Tua right now. If I ha- I have him only in the one league, and that was our USFL best ball league that we just um, was like our last league that we did, and in this league I specifically targeted him and said, "F it, I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get Tyreek. I'm gonna get Waddle, and I'm just gonna ride this team out and just see how it goes." And obviously, last week it worked out. I put out the highest points in the league. So yeah, I'd be willing to buy some too if I could, but I just don't know like. I mean, I do know, you know, can I trade, you know, Aaron Rodgers in a first for Tua? Like, you know, do I? Would you do that? I I think I'd have to consider it right now. Yeah, because I think I think Tua, the way he's playing, the way that they're running the offense, like the way they motion Waddle and Tyreek, and they basically get like five. I don't want to say like five yard head starts but they're like coming at you at full speed off of their motion right when the ball is hiked and they're like getting this easy separation on these guys like waddle and hill with their speed are just creating plays in the intermediate game and in the deep ball game like i heard a crazy stat i think it was on uh, the underdog show today about Tua that he's already um at like the the uh, balls over ten plus yards, or it was either ten or twenty, that he's already completed more of those this season than he has in the last two years. 
So like in two games. So obviously his style has changed. This offense has changed and it's really working for Tua right now. Now, obviously I, I know too that, Hey, defenses adapt, defenses pick up on things. They're probably going to see, you know, a shit ton of, uh, too high cover safeties, you know, too high shell or whatever they're calling it nowadays. You're probably going to see a lot of that where they're going to be like, all right, Tua, you're not going to throw the deep ball on us. You're going to have to get everything over the middle. But, hey, Tua's doing good in the intermediate game too. You know, Waddle and Tyreek are doing these slants over the middle. They're getting by guys. And, you know, he's they're making plays for him. They're obviously two of the best yak guys in the league after the catch, man. Two and Waddle or uh, Tyreek and Waddle are just making plays. So I think this can definitely continue for Tua. That's definitely a guy who has risen up my rankings. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're spot on with the assessment. It just ultimately comes down to like th- this. This is actually the week to buy Tua if you want to buy him because he's probably more available now than he would have been. Because there's probably a good chance the person is sitting there going like, all right, I barely could get a 23 first for Tua before the season. And maybe his price goes up a little bit as we get to the season because people are more interested in setting their lineup. But now, like, you put two firsts in their inbox and they're probably sitting there going like, you know what? I'll consider this. You know, that that's what Dynasty is. When you get a trade offer in Dynasty, you're you're basically running through a series of potential outcomes. You're looking at like every trade as odds for you. At least that's what I think we do. It's like, all right, I get two firsts. What can I do with these firsts? Can it potentially give me the chance to buy a a quarterback back for one of those firsts? And over the next two or three years, you know, can I buy Kirk Cousins for one of those firsts? And he gives me the same warp as two over the next three years. Then you got a free first. Like you think about it in that regard. I mean, that's how we're running through trade scenarios and saying, this is what needs to happen on one way or the other. This is the outcome that needs to happen for me to win this trade. So I think this is the time to buy to a man. And, and I, one of my biggest flaws is I don't play dynasty with a lot of conviction. We don't analyze the game, having conviction on certain players, you know, and that's where I think other people in, in DD and in, in this space can help us too. It's like, you know, sometimes I hear, you know, Ray or other people talking about players. And I'm like, you know what? I, maybe I can be a little more convicted on that situation or a little more convicted on that player and be willing to make a big bet every once in a while, you know, cause I, I do acknowledge the fact that if you're right on making some of these big bets, uh, Jalen hurts is another one. Yep. People are, people are hesitant on Jalen hurts, but listen, like if you can buy Jalen hurts for two firsts, I think his price is probably not three firsts, but it's probably two first plus. If you can snag him, there's a chance that he just smashes your league and forget about any future value. He just smashes your league and you win. And I think the good thing is if he smashes your league and you win, he probably has future value that's retained by doing that. You know, so it's the kind of bet to make, but you have to be convicted enough to make the bet. You can't play scared because there's not there's very little values uh, to be had, I think, on these types of players, players that are out there smashing. Like you either have to, you're going in or you're not. There's never like a deal that you're getting on a guy like Tua, not during the season. So mm-hmm. good discussion though, because I, I do wonder if, uh, you know, maybe we can adapt our game a little bit. Because I'm like you, are you even trying to go out and buy Tua this week though? Have you tried? Have you even thought about it? 
I've thought about it. Now going to my teams and actually proposing those out, that's a different story because I just ran out of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another thing is sometimes analyzing this. Like you got to be real good at uh, knowing what you want, knowing what you don't want, and knowing what your team needs and knowing what direction you need to go. Because I think you need to have uh, – like generally, do you have most of your teams kind of memorized in terms of like where you are and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So like someone tells you this team, this league, you can probably go, yeah, my team's dog shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can probably name off half the roster. Yeah. Right. And the settings and all that stuff. So, I mean, you got to there to be a portfolio player, to kind of be a degenerate, you kind of already have to have that. Like I need to be able to assess a trade in two minutes. I can't spend hours thinking about it, you know? Right. But I think that's a benefit sometimes. If you have hours to think about one trade or making one decision, that would that would drive me crazy. So I think you just need to be able to on the fly assess the risk. But it's an interesting thing to uh, – you definitely lose by not being able to go through all your teams. And, you know, ideally we'd be able to spend an hour a week on every team and speculate on moves to make. You know, we just don't have that many hours in a week though. What do you think about Carson Wentz? Because he's third on this chart right now at 5.59. Um, do you think – obviously, Wentz is not going to finish this high. We we both know that. He's probably going to tank to the 15, 16 range, I would bet. But do you think Wentz is a guy that maybe we've undervalued and think he could you know, kind of maybe stay in closer to this top 10 range where Wentz is you know, a really good value? Because I – bet you people are still like man it's still Carson Wentz he still sucks you know it's it's been two good games he played Jacksonville and Detroit they're not any good wait till he plays you know this week he plays the Eagles you know a better a better defense and Carson Wentz is going to turn into the pumpkin again you know is that somebody that you're looking to if you have him trade him and see if you can get you know, that 2023 first because I don't even know if you could have got a 2023 first before the season for him probably not I know in a league, I bought him for less than that. So, you know, is that a guy that you might be willing to sell right now if you can get a 2023 first, despite how good he's doing and how high he is on the uh, war, war chart right now? Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely overvalued on the warp chart. I mean, he's like QB3 in the warp chart now. Again, it's a small sample size. So strength of schedule, location of games, weather, a lot of things can come into play when you talk about a two-game sample size, right? Uh, but I think the one thing that we we missed on Wentz, and I'm guilty of this, I mean, you and I shit on Wentz all offseason. So let's not even pretend that we were like saw this coming. But I think uh, you can look at his historical fantasy performances. He's always been better for fantasy than he has been like NFL value wise, at least since he since leaving Philly. You know, he's been better since his well his last year in Philly, and then obviously his year in Indianapolis. Uh, and now, like we've had like a, a three-year span of where his dynasty value has just been in the tank, but arguably his NFL value has been in the tank too. Yeah. You know, like te- teams have two teams have now basically given up on him and moved on to another quarterback that has less pedigree than him. So it it isn't necessarily like it it was a fantasy thing. I think it was more of a hey, there's a really good chance, and I think this is still true there's a really good chance that by the end of the year, Washington's just sick of Carson Wentz. And then he goes somewhere else. And I think we all kind of built into the narrative. Well, if he has to go somewhere else again, I mean, if he gets F forward by the, by Washington, do you really think someone else hands him a starting job next year? At some point, people are going to go like, this guy's not worth our time. Right. 
like, yeah, it just depends. Like, cause there, there is a lot of teams I think could use quarterback upgrades. Right. Like, and I think like, that's where we missed. I think I we, think- we, we looked at it too much. Like this is his last shot. It's probably not going to work out because we're not really high on the commanders to begin with. And so he's going to fail. So then when he starts to succeed for fantasy, which he's always succeeded for fantasy, he's posted multiple top 15 seasons. So it isn't like he's, you know, he's quarterback 30, quarterback 28. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys that are bad for the NFL and they suck for fantasy. But for Wentz, it was always like, well, I can find some short-term production with this guy. Uh, Now it comes down to what's his job security like. I mean, I'm looking at, so EPA per play, uh, EPA, CPOE, composite rankings, like looking at where he ranks in that, like those are like the, the two best efficiency numbers. He's still in the top 12. So he's not three. So you can probably say like his fantasy numbers have exceeded what his real life numbers are, but he's not like quarterback three in fantasy and then quarterback 25 in these numbers. You know what I mean? Right. So he's been better than we probably expected. So I think we, that was just a guy we missed on. I don't think there was like a, anything other than that. We, we let the narrative about how two teams in the NFL have dumped him, hmm. which means he must suck, which means we don't want him for dynasty because he's going to be dead after this year yet. You know, we wanted Tom Brady and he's horrible and he's going to be dead after this year. So yeah. two, two weeks. Are, are you trading Carson Wentz for Tom Brady right now, Eric? No, I probably would hold on to Wentz because I think he's obviously going to play next year somewhere. Right. I mean, are you, and Brady not. <laughs> what quarterbacks are you trading for Tom Brady? I'm, I'm honestly like, I don't think I give up like Garoppolo or golf for Brady even. And that's how far we've come in two weeks, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I think it's just this was just a whiff. We let our bias on the real-life situation impact this. And, uh, you know, maybe Carson Wentz is just Mr. He moves teams every year or two and just continues to post top 18 fantasy numbers. And we're like, yeah, he was a great deal if you would have bought him for, you know, a, a second two years down the road in 2020 when he got benched for Jalen Hurts, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if you bought him then and then you bought him again when he got benched or F Ford out of Indianapolis, it was a good deal. So yeah, I just think that was one we missed on We let narrative impact it too much. And yes, I would probably still sell for the 23 first. Okay. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to get to see if you would still do it. Like now Jared Goff, he's eighth on this list at 3.48. Like you could have never have got traded him for a first. I don't even know if you could still trade him for a 2023 first right now, despite how good he's playing. But I'm guessing that's the same thing as Wentz. Would you just trade him for the 2023 first? Well, okay. So Jared Goff in the efficiency numbers is bad. Okay. He's at, he's 25th. He's below guys like, uh, he's below Cooper Rush. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's below Ryan Tannehill and Daniel Jones. And I think you'd rather have Jared Goff for fantasy, right? Than Ryan Tannehill or Daniel Jones. Yeah, right now. I think though Daniel Jones is everybody knows I'm the guy who hates Daniel Jones because I just his training camp stuff, like all those highlights, just are just so mind-bogglingly bad that right. I just think he's he's that in my mind. But I can never get over. But he's actually been pretty good this year compared compared to like T- Tannehill's the one that has fallen off the cliff for me. Like he mm-hmm. was an efficiency monster like two years ago, and now he's like bottom of the barrel like i'd maybe want like 
two other starting quarterbacks. I'd rather have Tannehill over like two other starting quarterbacks. And that'd be like Matt Ryan. I'd rather have Tannehill over Matt Ryan. And like, I'd probably rather have Tannehill over Trubisky still. Like, I think it's a debate like Geno Smith and Tannehill. Who would you rather have? I probably would still stick with Tannehill, but it's pretty close. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest indicator with Matt Ryan is like Matt Ryan's even below Jared Goff, but he's not producing for fantasy. So right. it, yeah, he's definitely one that I think we were right on. I've been pretty much outspoken. Yeah, on. You were Matt sure. Ryan is dead. He's his efficiency numbers have been going down. He was always volume dependent in Atlanta. And I, I mean, I don't know what the problem is. Maybe he turns it around a little bit in Indianapolis, but like, it's been a rude awakening to see how much better Carson Wentz has been both in fantasy, but also like real life better than Matt Ryan. You know what I mean? And everyone was convinced that was going to be a downgrade or an upgrade for the Colts, but it really hasn't been. So I think, yeah, golf golf is definitely the one that shows up high in the warp data at QB eight that I think is probably uh, a benefit of, uh, the schedule, the players around them, how they're scheming him up. But I would tend to bet he falls just based on his historic fantasy production. Like he, other than the one year with the Rams where I think he was like QB nine, his last couple fantasy finishes have been trash. You know what I mean? Like they're outside the top 24 to where it's like, you don't even want him in a, in a super flex league. Whereas Wentz, I mean, Wentz last year was still QB 15 in fantasy. So like you, you could have used him as a QB too. So yeah, golf is one that, um, definitely, I would get out on a high, uh, and then, you know, Matt Ryan, you're probably almost forced to kind of just have him on your roster. You know what I mean? But yeah, there, there's definitely a difference between those guys and Wentz. Right. Is there anybody on this warp list that you think could still ascend into like the top ten range that isn't right now? I mean the. I mean, obviously, if you just take so Derek Carr's eleven, Joe Burrow twelve, like I could see those guys jumping up into the top seven or eight. But I think they're basically in the range where you kind of projected them to be. You know what I mean? Right. Um, whereas the guys below them, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I think could still go up a little bit, but I think he's probably right around where his. I'm just looking at these relative to like how we valued him coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously. Matt Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson stick out. Like yeah. I, I would, I would definitely think we're projecting those guys to move up, right? Just yeah. as we're projecting Joe Flacco to move down or yeah. Marcus Mariota to move down. Baker Mayfield, interestingly enough, is 16th here uh, mm-hmm. to move down. Golf to move down. I, you know, I can see two and Wentz sticking up there in the top ten. I could see that. Maybe not three yeah. and five. We got Aaron Rodgers at 28, Tom Brady 29, Garoppolo, obviously just this first game, and he's he's negative, which is kind of interesting. But I think Garoppolo will, will definitely move up into like the 20 range. Yep. Well, and um, I mean, also we're looking at uh, like the warp data for like Dak Prescott. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's too small of a sample size. He played yeah. basically like, like three quarters of a game. You know what I mean? So. Right. I definitely think we have too small of a sample size to really look at the bottom and say, I mean, you can also argue that Tom Brady has had uh, two very difficult matchups. Mm-hmm. And obviously the first game, they didn't have to do anything to win that game. You know what I mean? 
So let's give a guy like Brady and Rogers maybe a little bit more time. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's definitely uh, it's definitely interesting seeing Brady, Rogers, Cousins, Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford outside of the top fifteen, and you know Joe Flacco, Marcus Mariota, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff up there. So it definitely looks weird. But yeah, I think those guys can still jump up in there. The one I, I before we move on, I wanted to give a shout out to that I think could be like the surprise guy that ends up in the top ten at the end of the year, and you mentioned him a few moments ago, and that's Trevor Lawrence. Like, I think he's playing really good ball. And I think he, you know, with Doug Peterson there, you know, his offensive weapons aren't like the greatest in the world, but for what he has, you know, he's doing pretty damn good with them so far. So I kind of like Trevor Lawrence and, you know, this might be the time to buy Trevor Lawrence because if he does have as good as a season that I think he could have, you know, his dynasty value is going to skyrocket back to like, right outside the top 10, like 10th, 11th, you know, kind of where he was when he first came in the league. Actually, he's probably like top eight when he came into the league. Um, he moves, obviously moved back a few spots last year, but I could see him rising back up a few more spots. Yeah, I mean, looking at the EPA per play numbers, I mean, Trevor Lawrence ranks fourth in the league. Uh, well, CPA or EPA CPOE, he ranks fourth in the league. If you're looking at the EPA per play, he's a little bit lower. But, I mean, he's up there, and the names that are up there around him, Mahomes, Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson is fifth, Justin Herbert is sixth. Surprisingly, Russell Wilson is eighth. So that tells me that maybe his his fantasy numbers are are down a little bit compared to what they could be. Like that, Russell right. Wilson is somebody that, I mean, he's he was without Tim Patrick to start the year. They were without K.J. Hamler for half of their first game and their second game. Judy missed almost the entire second game. Like and they're breaking in a brand new offense with a new coach, a new offensive coordinator, an entire staff that's never coached at this level before, and we're crushing the guy for two bad games. You know what I mean? Like I think I think he's going to be fine. Is he going to be awesome? Like top five quarterback? No, but I, I'm not going to be shocked if we look up at the end of the year and it's like Russell Wilson's in the top ten and everything. You know, right. so I think that's that's a guy I would still be buying if people are kind of thinking. You know, because you're starting to hear the narrative on Russ that like, well, Seattle was right to get rid of him. You know, he's not the same player. I mean, some of that stuff might be true, but, you know, these numbers speak differently. And then, uh, I mean, Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts are up there with the elite passers. Now, is that just a two-game stretch where they played the right teams or whatever? But, I mean, shit, man. If you'd have told me these guys are going to be like top eight in passing efficiency, like they should almost be like QB1 and QB2. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you almost have to buy into that. And then here's a, here's a curious one. Guess who's number nine and number 10. You'll get one. Cause one of them is a quarterback of your team. Oh, Jacoby. Jacoby Brissett. Yep. Yeah. Jacoby's playing really good right now. And curious. See what he, where he ranks on the warp chart. He's 21st. So yeah. that tells me he's kind of, he's kind of doing whatever the Browns need him to do. And to, my other guess would be the guy just below him on the warp chart. That's, been yep. pretty good too. Yep, you nailed it, Geno Smith. So yeah. it it tells me that both of those guys are basically doing really well for what their teams are asking them to do. Yeah. But what does that translate for fantasy? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, they're never, they're most likely never going to be like the three hundred yard passing game guys. They're going to be like Jacoby last night, like two seventeen. You know, they're going to be like that, barely struggling to get to two hundred passing yards a game. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Now, it also tells you, like, let's just transition to this topic and turn it into a trade topic real quick. It, can you can you sell a guy like Matt Ryan and get back, like, Geno Smith in a second or something like that? I mean, or even Geno Smith in two-thirds? Like, really what this data says is there's no difference. They're yeah. all just placeholders, right? And we talked about that all this year when we did the Warp episode about, remember when it gets to, like, QB 18 or 20, they're all just flat? Yep. So why the hell do you value anybody with job security down in the flat range when literally they're the same as like starting Colt McCoy? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, that's what it is. Yeah. If I can get out on uh, Matt Ryan somehow, I definitely would. Uh, some of these other guys like Tannehill, if there's a way I can get out on Tannehill, I would like, you know, Tannehill for like you said, Geno Smith in a second. I'd go ahead and do that. You know, the other guy to get out of, immediately in my opinion davis mills yeah davis mills yeah he's 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 even lower uh here i mean he's looking at this looking at this sample size they have all 32 quarterbacks ranked uh davis mills is 30th and one of the guys below him is trey lance so i he feels like a guy that people think has a little more dynasty value but truthfully is it a guarantee that Davis Mills starts more games in the rest of his career than Jacoby Brissett or Geno Smith? Like those guys are young enough that they could, you know, if Jacoby continues to what he's doing and he goes, you know, seven and four and looks this good the rest of the year, he's buying himself bridge opportunities in the future. You know what I mean? Like he could yeah, start he, as, games as Davis Mills. Yeah, he could be he could be the new Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum who bounced around from start to start mm-hmm. or Joe Flacco, same you know same kind of situation. Yeah, I agree. Yep. So I think Davis Mills is another one where you know get. I'm not saying get out of him for nothing, but like this data says, there is no difference between Geno Smith and Davis Mills. But you're probably placing value on them differently because of what you think they could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're saying if you could trade Davis Mills and get Gino in a second, you're doing that a hundred out of a hundred times. Yeah. Because if you think about what the data says with the war, like, okay, Gino Smith is 22nd and Davis Mills is 24th. Right. If you are looking at your team starting Davis Mills on a weekly basis, and you're now scared that you're downgrading to Jacoby Brissett, from like a, a work perspective, you're not downgrading. Right. The only way you're downgrading is, oh shit, I'm trading a guy that I guarantee is going to get benched in week 13, you know, yeah. or week 12. Whereas Davis Mills may hang on and start, you know, week 12 through week 17. But yeah, I would, you, I would assume Mills is playing there all year unless he gets injured For sure. or whatnot. Because sure. Jeff Driscoll isn't fucking coming in there or Kyle. For sure. That's the only thing. Is but yeah. but here's the thing. All you are losing, so when Watson comes back, it'll be week 13, Watson's coming back. The only thing you're probably losing between losing Brissett that week because Watson will take the job versus Davis Mills is you need to find a body for five weeks, but the body you're finding is making no difference on your team. In fact, if you're starting that body, regardless of which one, you could pick them out of a hat, you're gaining nothing by playing either one. In fact, you're probably losing if either one of them are going in your lineup. So yeah, that's how you get out of Davis Mills. You don't try to go ask for a first because he's a starter. I mean, obviously, if you can get those deals, but I think this is a creative way to kind of get to the lowest common denominator. And you know what? 
you have Jacoby Brissett on your roster. He might get a bridge job next year, and then you're right, right back in the same scenario. All right, so now let's transition over to running back. So I'm just going to give the top five here real quick. Nick Chubb is at a 3.18 leading the pack. And I believe that is before uh, week three's games even still. So I, he might have even gone up since then. Uh, Saquon Barkley is second, 2.82. DeAndre Swift, 2.69. Aaron Jones, 2.51. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 2.04. So I think out of that top five, like there's definitely some names that we kind of expected to be up there with Chubb, Barkley, Swift, Aaron Jones. I think kind of how we valued those guys on a one-year basis like we could definitely see those guys being top five names right now uh the only one that's you know we didn't expect to be up there was ceh like a lot of people left uh ceh for dead so do you think ceh is a guy that could stay in this top 10 hunt i'm not expecting him to stay at five all year but do you think he could be a top 10 ward type player rest of the year yeah i mean i don't see why not Honestly, I don't see why not. I think I think one of the things that stands out to me is uh, it'd be nice if we had these in like a, a plot chart so you could ke- see kind of like what the slope looks like. Uh, but it, it is very interesting to see how much they're grouped together in that range. Um, and CEH, yeah, number five, that, that kind of stood out to me as how many other guys that are uh, below him are clearly bigger names and guys that would hold more dynasty value. I think what this just kind of speaks to is Obviously, we're looking at like a guy like Austin Eckler is below him, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Leonard Fournette. Like these are guys we would say have top ten ceilings. You know what I mean? Top eight ceilings or better. Um, but just how hard it is to predict. I mean, Nick Chubb's been great. Um, I think you could have probably predicted like Barkley, Swift, Aaron Jones to be up there. Those aren't shocking. Those guys were all valued as like top ten running backs, like from a redraft perspective this year. Right. But I think it just kind of speaks to, and Ray's been talking about it. Ray's been on a big kick talking about running backs. And it's like, dude, I got, I got teams out there right now that they're just starting dog shit at running back and they're still winning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think it hits on the point we've talked about on the last couple of shows too. It isn't necessarily about these warp running backs. It's also how often can you get guys like CEH into your lineup? How often is Kareem Hunt in your lineup? How often is Miles Sanders in your lineup? People bitch about Miles Sanders and go, well, he ain't helping me because I haven't started him for two weeks. Unless you got some teams like you and I, we're like, fuck yeah, Miles Sanders is our second best running back, right? I'm yeah. locking him in because I don't have anybody else. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing that contributes to war with running backs is how are you building your team? Are you setting your team up for success to capitalize on these guys? If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was your fifth running back going into the year, you've basically wasted any of the war that he's given because he's probably not been in your lineup because you've probably gone, ooh, I'm going to start a receiver because they have a higher upside than him week to week. Right. So he's not in your lineup. He's just scoring points on your bench. And I know Adam and Mike talked about this on their last show was like the difference between best ball and non-best ball. And really, it's it's these inflection points at running back and wide receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Like You would love to have a running back room of CEH, Miles Sanders, Naheem Hines, Michael Carter, Damian Harris, Tony Pollard. That's a sweet best ball running back room, isn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, would you like a running back room of picking two of those seven every week on a lineup league? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you're just going to get frustrated. I have a couple teams like that, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to spray and pray at running back. 
But then I go to set my lineup and it's like, man, I'm literally deciding between eight RB twos and RB threes. Right. And I don't want to flex them because I have receivers that I'd rather flex, but I'm just kicking myself every week. Cause I play Naheem Hines and then I sit Michael Carter and he has nine catches. And then the next week I play Michael Carter and I sit Tony Pollard. Cause of course he can't be good with a shitty offense. And then he scores 19 points. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. you really have to build these running back rooms up as the year goes. As you have injuries, then you trade for the next Tony Pollard. You trade for the Miles Sanders. You trade for the Damian Harris. You go get them because the market, the market creates a, an ability to buy these guys constantly if you're willing to pay the market price, right, Eric? Yeah. So, like, you can always go and buy a Cordero Patterson, or you can always go buy Naheem Hines, or mm-hmm. you can pay up and buy James Robinson, or pay up and buy Miles Sanders. They're always available, but I think my, my taking point, my talking point of how I'm going to change some of my, my roster construction next year is I don't want to go into the year with eight of these guys on the team. I want to have two or three or four. They need to be healthy enough to get me to week one. And then I'll set my lineup. And then maybe I have a couple extra to where I can pick between matchups the first couple weeks. But after that, it's like, literally, do I need a running back to start this week? that I think could be a top 24 play. If so, I'm ecstatic. So I think that's a lesson that I've learned looking at this running back data and it supports it too. Cause I'm looking at a lot of these names and I'm going, people are probably, they don't feel that James Robinson or Clyde Edwards, Hilaire or miles Sanders have really helped their team because they haven't had them in the lineup. So that's just the main takeaway that I saw from this. I think another takeaway that I took away from that is if you look at where these guys are um, valued at too, like the top 25 is a positive warp. And then after the 25th is all negative. Like it's crazy to me how like Daryl Henderson's the first negative one, but like people would love to have Daryl Henderson right now, probably. Right. Well, and here's, here's what you make a perfect point. And let's talk about this. Look at some of the guys that are in that group that are negative. What names stand out to you? Dalvin cook, uh, Josh Jacobs, Ezekiel Elliott, Derek Henry, Travis ETN, Chase, Chase Edmonds. Edmonds, Raheem Moster. Yep. Yep. Now, why do you think they're there? They just haven't produced yet. No touchdowns. Right, right. But here's the other thing. What what is what is also something that you're going to recognize when it comes to war? What what what? And I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What do those players have in common, most for the most part? The ones that are that are down here in the negatives. Mm-hmm. Most of them aren't catching the ball. Well, not not even from like what they're doing on the field or what they're not doing on the field. What do they have oh. in common? In the dynasty context. Uh, yeah, they're all, they're all descending. They're on their way down. They're all older assets. That here's the other thing. I bet you people jammed all those guys in their fucking lineups the first oh, two weeks without yeah, hesitation. Right. I gotta start Derrick Henry. I gotta yeah. start Dalvin Cook. I gotta start Ezekiel Elliott. There is no way I can start Michael Carter over Ezekiel Elliott because Eric Ezekiel Elliott's going to get twenty touches. Yep. And that is that is the crux of how you can use this warp data is that it is a roster construction thing. We can we can go back at the end of the year and look at this data and say a lot of the negative warp players 
are going to feel even worse because you were tempted because of their name, their profile, whatever it was. You can tell yourself a story about when you set your lineups the first week of the year, why you're going to put Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook in the lineup over Michael Carter, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, you're a victim of your, your own roster building. You know, right. you're so excited that you have two solid running backs, but do you? Because you might, but you also might have guys that are going to crush you eight to 10 times a year. Because as long as David Montgomery is on your roster, Eric, you're starting him. Yeah. If he's not on your roster and you've liquidated him for whatever you can get for him, a 24 first, and then you went and picked up a cheap, I don't know, Eno Benjamin or something like that. And maybe that's even too low. I'd rather shoot in the range of... Let's say like, uh, let's say Jarek McKinnon. Jarek McKinnon is a guy that is available probably if you wanted to go buy him, right? Right. But you're never getting any benefit from Jarek McKinnon unless you have a a rotating RB2 spot in your league where you're like, I'm just going to throw Jarek McKinnon in there. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key. That's the key is always being able to kind of feel where you are shooting yourself in the foot because you're just starting these guys without any regard. So I think that's a big component of the running back thing. That's why you see a lot of those guys down at the bottom. Mm. And why, if you had Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott and you started them back to back weeks, you are getting your ass kicked by the team that, and and I mean, you have, I have talked about it before you, you look at an opponent's roster and you go, Oh, holy shit. That team sucks. They're starting Dontrell Hilliard. Mm -hmm. Like really they're, what they're doing is they're betting that they can hedge your their Dontrell Hilliard versus your Ezekiel Elliott and hopefully beat you at all the other spots that they've paid for upgrades. Right. You know, they're they're rolling out five elite receivers and two elite quarterbacks, and they're going, Man, watch out, Eric. You're starting Ezekiel Elliott. If Dontrell Hilliard gives me like twelve points, I'm gonna beat your ass. Yep. So that's my takeaway. Another thing too is like if you remember when we did the uh, the original Warp podcast and we looked at the charts and it was like right around the RB ten or uh, 24, 22, 23 range. It was all like barely 0.01, 0.02, and that's exactly where it all is right now after two weeks. Even you know these guys are in that same range, so the where RB twenty six and below we're getting into the negatives and they were on that chart too. So it's already kind of working the same way already. And it's same for the wide receivers. When we get into the wide receivers, wide receiver 36 is a, is a 0.00. So it's already getting into the negatives right after your wide receiver three, basically. Yeah. I mean, in the, the data, if you just take that subset of like running back 12 through 25, that essentially articulates that dead zone, right? Yeah. So, the key to the dead zone is you don't want to have too many dead zone running backs. You want to drill your roster down to the lowest common denominator and say, you know what? I need a couple dead zone running backs on my team, but I want to have just enough to where I'm just going to play them. And it's a coin flip to whether they give me a good game or a bad game. I don't want to have to, to store because I made this mistake this year. I just told you I built three or four teams where I have a ton of dead zone running backs. And I go, you know what? I'll just pick the ones each week until you get to the season. You go, yeah, pick between all these guys ranked between RB 15 and 35. Good fucking luck. You know what I mean? So what I should have done is I should have sold a couple of them for seconds or combined two of them or added one with a second and gotten a first. I should have just eliminated that value off my team 
to where I just picked a couple of them and I'm just starting those guys until I feel that I can go pay and get an upgrade. But just don't carry too much value on your rosters in these running back ranges. That, that, I think that's the main takeaway. And I think you make a good point. It's already looking exactly like what the chart looked like. Yep. Now, some of these older guys, like, I've been kind of thinking about it. I have, like, I think I have one Derrick Henry team. Like, it is just not going to looking good for Derrick Henry. And I can tell myself, you know, me and you have talked about it, where the Titans can just get rid of Tannehill and Derrick Henry for zero guaranteed money and, and keep all that money. And they free up like $50 million worth of cap room next off season. Like it's already looking like the Titans should just kind of do that. Their offensive line is banged up. It's very bad. The quarterback's not very good. Derrick Henry is looking like a shell of him for, of his former self. Like I haven't really seen like any of those big Derrick Henry type runs. I mean, you could say the same about Zeke, like Zeke has been okay, but it's a shitty offensive line again. Josh Jacobs, like He's gotten all the carries. Like there hasn't anybody that's cut into his time to where we were we were so scared about him, but he still isn't like doing that great. Um, you know, are the, these guys you're just kind of maybe just looking to sell and just get rid of now? And maybe if you can get a draft pick and one of these running backs that we were just talking about, a Michael Carter back, you know, Dontrell Hilliard back, Naeem Hines back, would you be willing to do something like that? Yeah, so basically what you're saying is just pair them down and try to add some value by basically just getting another running back body and a pick back instead of just taking a, a cash out at a much less price than what you probably thought you should have gotten before the year, right? Yep, sorry about that. Muted myself on accident. But yeah, no, I agree with that. So, I mean, I think a lot of my Henry shares and Zeke shares are in point per carry leagues too, which makes it even tougher. Because mm-hmm. like the, the the range of outcomes with those guys are really wide, but also like if the floor hits, then they're they're not still not worth anything because they're still running backs in dynasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it just goes right back to what I just said. Like, it's really hard for us to wrap our head around that Derrick Henry isn't even worth a first, you know. But if you can downgrade off Henry and just pick up another body, then. I mean, I'd prefer to pick up a pick without getting a body and just kind of get all the value I'm getting back in form of a draft pick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Versus take a running back back in a second. But if that's the best I can do, at least the second gives me something that I can use later in the year. And hopefully the running back I get back is somebody that fits into that range of if I if I ever can kind of pare my roster down like a Michael Carter, like Michael Carter in a second for Derrick Henry. But honestly, I don't even think you can get that. Yeah, like, I don't I, think so either. I think you get declined on a trade like that. You you try to get even one of these guys in here, Tony Pollard or, you know, Damian Harris. You're not getting those guys plus a second for Derrick Henry. So right, right. I think you just got to wait till they have a good game, and then you try to get that at that point. But you got to wait till they have a good game. And here's the problem: if Derrick Henry goes out and has you know 26 for 120 and a touchdown, guess what? I'm probably not going to do. Sell for that price. So it's it's real tough, man. It 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 just makes me think more about I don't want to build my teams with too many running backs. Period. Period. I think the one thing I take away from that as well is if I'm going to build my team around running backs, they better be able to catch the ball. 
because all these guys at the top, Saquon Barkley, Swift, Aaron Jones, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can catch the ball a little bit. Mixon's catching the ball. McCaffrey, Kareem Hunt, they can all catch the ball. Like, any of these guys, like, I mean, Chubb's the only exception right now just because he's scoring so many touchdowns. But if you look at, like, Dalvin Cook hasn't caught a lot of balls. Derrick Henry's not catching balls. Josh Jacobs is not catching balls. Zeke Elliott's not catching balls. If you're not catching, you know, catching the ball in fantasy for me, it's like, I don't know. Do I even want you on my team? You know, I kind of just want to catch, collect all guys who are catching the ball. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And I, and just let me correct one thing that I said. It's not that I don't want to build teams around a lot of running backs. I think our strategy is always going to be collect as many running backs as we can. And that's just a byproduct of the fact that we're probably trying to consolidate and have the highest quality at the other positions, right? We talked about that on the warp show. I think the idea of we want to get as many running backs as we can in the off season cheap. That's the difference. It's, I don't want to, I don't want to build a team. The biggest mistake I think is actually paying capital for a lot of these mid tier running backs, the guys that trade for seconds or two seconds or a second and a third. Those are the ones that people squint and they go, "Ah, I could see myself. I could see Miles Sanders having an RB one season. But Miles Sanders is a guy that still had trade value. You know, he still it was somebody you had to give up probably at least a second, if not multiple seconds to buy in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Whereas really the difference between Miles Sanders and some of these other guys you could have snagged for free is minimal. So I want to build teams around a lot of running backs. What I don't want to do is I either basically want the absolute hammers at the top or I want as many guys at the bottom as I can get. And I really only want a few guys that are in that middle range. And those are the middle range ones like the Michael Carters, the Damian Harris's. You just start them right. You just start them right off the bat and you hope they outperform their value or their price on this warp chart. And if they don't, they don't, but at least I'm not getting a lack of performance and holding an asset like Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry, because that's crushing you. If you've started those two guys religiously, you're I'm guessing you're probably 0 and 2 or 1 and 1 at best, you know? You're not smashing your league. Yeah, my 1D draft team, I have Dalvin and Kamara and it's absolutely killed me and I'm 0 and 2. Yep. So, yeah. All right, so going on to wide receivers now. I think this one is just I don't know, I don't want to say mind-boggling, but it's crazy to me that Stefan Diggs is the highest wart player in the whole league right now at 7.34. And then next is Cooper Cup at 3.93 that Stefan Diggs is three uh, wins above Cooper Cup right now, who's number two. So that just shows you how good of a season Stefan Diggs is having right now. Uh, like I mentioned, Cup was second. Amon Ra is third at 3.42. Tyreek at 3.35. Jalen Waddle, 3.19. Justin Jefferson, 2.43. Christian Kirk, 1.95. Curtis Samuel is at eighth at 1.82, but that has a lot to do with touchdowns. Uh, Michael Thomas is at 1.72 and Jamar Chase 1.55. So pretty much a lot of the usual suspects are all up there that, you know, pretty much we all rank in the top 10. But Curtis Samuel snuck into there. I think Christian Kirk has been so good this year that he snuck into there. Amon Ross was the one that's, he was like in the 25, 30 range in Dynasty, and now he's up in the top five. You know, we'll just go like Amon Ra first. Do you think Amon Ra is a guy that we have to consider as like a top 10 dynasty wide receiver now? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think so too. Shows you how fast things change. I mean, I, I think we're getting a little over our skis with uh, some people saying, you know, he's their wide receiver five, wide receiver six. He's clearly locked into top 10, but I think he's in that, he's in that discussion to where you, you can't ignore what he's done, not just the first two games this year, but what he did down the stretch last year. I mean, really the confirmation bias on last year was, well, he, there's no way he can do it again. So then it, he comes out and does it again. And now, and now what is the narrative? And it's, well, wait till Jamison Williams comes back. You know, it's like, is that really the, and th- my retort to that is if that's the case, then you need to go buy Jamison Williams. Uh, you need it, to well, be every, everyone also said, oh, well, he did all that without Hawkinson and Swift last right. year too. Yeah, I'm well, saying yes, that you can't, right now. <laughs> you can't make the JMO's coming back argument unless you go and buy Jamison Williams. Because clearly right. he's a product of their system. He's a product of what they're doing. So, I mean, if you just project that it's not that it's going to go away, mm-hmm. then you got to be higher on someone else in that same offense. You know what I mean? It's either buy, go buy more Swift, go buy Hawkinson, go buy Jamison Williams. I mean, I don't know. I think you got to buy in. And, I, and this list honestly doesn't really surprise me that much. Really? The, the biggest surprise on this list is seeing, you know, like Devin Duvernay or Noah Brown or even Curtis Samuel. Like, but for the most part, this list illustrates that generally we are pretty good at picking the threshold receivers. We don't maybe know which ones are going to be which, but we're pretty confident about like these tiers of who's going to be where. Whereas the running backs seem a lot more kind of all over the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with that. So, and, like, I mean, who would have ever predicted that Washington would have three above zero warp wide receivers <laughs> to start the year? I would have never predicted that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, I, and I would have never expected that you have Dak Prescott getting injured and missing five quarters thus far out of eight, and Noah Brown is up there, like, yeah. I mean, t- Tyler Lockett is up there. He, he's a positive warp player right now. But yet, you know, you got Jerry Judy, DJ Moore, CD Lamb, Chris Olave. Gabe Davis is down there. Like, Gabe Davis obviously missed last week, but his first game was pretty damn good, and he's still a negative player. So I don't know if having just a – I'm guessing the having a zero for a week affects this, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, it should. And I think also – one other really interesting thing was uh, McCole Hardman is at 48. Mm-hmm. He's the highest Chiefs receiver. You got Juju at 58, and you have Marquez Valdez Scantling at 79. Yeah, Yet uh, you have Pat Mahomes at the fourth, at or near the top at quarterback. So, yeah. you know, that does that kind of just plays out exactly what Mahomes said, remember, where it's like, I, this is going to be like a, a wide receiver by committee and Travis Kelsey. And this, it's, it's kind of playing it out that way. Like you're not getting it. You're not getting anything. If you're starting uh chiefs receivers, you know? Yep. And like, and like I said too, and like it's playing just out like, like the charts did like the 36 receiver was like the zero point. And then after that, it, it you started getting into the negative. So same thing is working out with wide receivers. I think the names will change obviously uh, throughout the year. Like, you know, obviously I don't think Noah Brown and Devin Duvernay are going to stay in the top 36, um, you know, and I don't think DJ Moore or CD lamb or T Higgins are going to be in the below 36 range. So the names are going to change and move up, but just interesting to see the guys early on that are adding to, you know, some value to your teams if you have them. So. 
Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to track. I mean, the receivers can be so volatile week to week, so it's hard to look at these names and be like, yeah, that makes sense. But I think looking at the the buckets, like how you group them together, uh, is a fascinating thing. I'll be interested. We should do another show on this like in three weeks or four weeks and kind of yeah, rehab and see if once we get a little bit of a bigger sample size, I think that'll be interesting. But yeah, the, the trends that you can spot at these positions – uh, even if you just ignore the names and you just looked at the numbers and how they rank relative to each other and how they would kind of fit into a team, like you, you can kind of spot in here where you would, how you'd want to build your rosters. You know what I mean? And if you line that up with ADP, I think this will be a really good exercise to do and figure out like, this is, this is how I can use this to build my teams. Forget about the players. This is how I'd use this to build my teams and do my roster construction. So good stuff. Yeah, for sure. You want to touch then, on tight ends? Like literally how it's like, it's exactly what we thought, like the top five or six matter and then the rest are trash. Yeah. And it's a couple of the names that, that are up there are a little interesting, but yeah, I mean, all of them, you know, it's, you get to the top, uh, you get to the 12th tight end and then it starts getting in the negatives already. So it's kind of kind of like how we thought too, with that. But yeah, the, the names are a little different. Like Gerald Everett at fourth um, is interesting so far. So Gerald, if you had Gerald Everett, he's smashing for you. Um, Friar Muth has done pretty good so far. He's at sixth. Um, you know Zach Ertz with pretty much being a zero factor in week one, and he caught a touchdown late that he probably shouldn't have caught. Um, because he was so injured coming into the game, it seemed like. But shit, I mean, just just after last week, he's he's fifth. So I mean, he's doing good. Tyler Conklin's been great. Logan Thomas, I would have never guessed in a million years would be up here after his bad injury, but he's done good. The guy below him, OJ Howard, he's been left for dead. He's a positive ward, but that just comes off of two touchdowns. And then last week he did absolutely zero. Um, but yeah, I mean, these tight ends are interesting. There's some interesting ones that are way down here that are negatives. TJ Hawkinson's at 20. Um, Dalton Schultz, 17. Uh, Dawson Knox, 24. So yeah, it, the tight ends are, are really interesting right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously we also know that I, I almost guarantee that nobody was impacted by OJ Howard because they didn't yeah. have him in the lineup, right? Nobody probably was starting Taysom Hill. Nobody Washington. was starting Will Disley. Unless you had those guys in best balls and they just, they happen to pop no, in your roster. The best ball is different. I'm saying yeah. in a lineup league, no, you I don't, don't you don't feel at all the impact of the, the warp tight ends in this range, most likely because they're completely random. I mean, literally OJ Howard is banked on, he's played like 26 snaps all year and he yeah. had two touchdowns and that's it. But, but you're feeling the impact of Kyle Pitts's negative 1.41 wit or uh, warp. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling that. You're feeling uh, if you were starting Noah Fant, you're feeling that. Um, Austin Hooper, we've put in some lineups. Woof, you're feeling yeah. that. Yeah, you're feeling Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, fifty-seven or where was Hunter Henry? No, he was forty-nine. Negative one eight. Yep. Uh, I'm guessing you're probably feeling Brevin Jordan if you started him. Uh, holy shit, Cole Komet, 82, <laughs> that's killing you. What's his What's his negative, like 75? Negative 2.3. Once you get to that point, you, there, you can't go any lower. It's basically guys that probably haven't registered any numbers. Right, right, right. But yeah, basically what this says is uh, Cole Komet is the worst fantasy player in the league. Because I guarantee you he was in lineups both weeks if you had him. 
Whereas you look at some of these other players, I mean, look at the other players that have equivalent warp on the the tight end and or the uh, running back and receiver chart. Mm-hmm. At the receiver, you have a I mean, Cole Komet was negative two point three eight. Receivers, I mean, it's down to guys you would have never played. What's What's Darnell Mooney's by chance? If you can see it, Mooney's is let's see. He was at negative 2.07. So, yeah, he's close. Not as bad as Komet, but, uh, yeah, down there. Yeah. So, Jeez. arguably, you could say those two were are the are the worst uh, players for fantasy because you probably started them back-to-back weeks. Uh, and I'll be curious, if there is anybody that's listening, uh, give us a shout-out on Twitter. If there is anybody that is listening – that can point to me a team that started Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet in the first two weeks, and they're 2-0, and I'll give you a free year of the Patreon. That's how confident I am it doesn't exist. <laughs> I believe it. But that, but, that, but that makes sense to you, doesn't it? That, like, yeah. you probably, if you had Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney, you were probably starting them, right? Yeah. I know Maybe. I have a couple of teams with fields where I just – well, I got the Fields Mooney stack. I'm just going to play them. And it hasn't worked out so good. Maybe you escaped after week one and said, okay, I'm going to bench them. But probably because it was like that rain game, you were probably like, oh, that's why they didn't do well. <laughs> they went out and did worse in the next game. Or Frank yeah. Komet did, did zero in both. But yeah, it's it's interesting looking at this stuff because you can go down and look at the players, the negative, negative warp players, and you can see who the ones that were just basically the landmines because you know not only were those guys bad, but they were in people's lineups. That's yeah. what killed you. Like James Cook, negative 2.46. Yep. That was one of those guys where I've thrown into a couple lineups. Not as, not so much week two, but week one, I put him in a couple lineups thinking, oh, you know, he's going to get a couple catches. Nope. So works both ways, man. Works both ways. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that is going to end the episode there for us this week. Uh, before we go, though, I'm going to have to do our normal uh, what's your favorite before we go, Scott. So are you ready? I'm ready. Yep. All right. We'll just do something easy this week. What is your favorite sport that isn't football? What is my favorite sport that isn't football? Yeah, either one you you pay attention to the most or you just enjoy watching. You know, or whatever you whatever you choose. Man, you always put me on the spot with these. What's yours? I, I, I'm better when I have a, like two minutes to think, which isn't great. Uh-huh. What's yours? And I have so so many different ones. Like, you know, I would say most people would say basketball or baseball or whatever. I'm gonna go. You know, mine probably, and it's probably not the same as a lot of other people but mine's auto racing so nascar f1 indycar that is my my dad got me into that when i was younger we would watch all the races together when i was a young kid i mean i I had all the little uh cars and stuff for all the teams and all the drivers we'd go to the nascar races he had season tickets and stuff so mine's always been auto racing i still follow it religiously to this day um, I'm still watching the NASCAR races now, like even during NFL games, like thank God for YouTube TV where I could have football on my TV and I can throw YouTube TV on my computer and have the NASCAR race up on there now. So that's nice for me. I've been able to do that. So that those are mine, auto racing, NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, all of them. I, I love all of them. 
Yeah, I know you've always been a big racing fan, but uh, I, I thought you were going to say hockey, but I'm guessing hockey's probably close, like a close third. Yeah, I would say, and that's because I just, I don't care for basketball anymore. Obviously, being from Cleveland, I think you can figure out why. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I've kind of given up on basketball and all that. But, yeah, I mean, auto racing would easily have been over basketball or hockey just because I've, that's been my whole life is, is doing that, and I still do it to this day. But, yeah, hockey would be third for me. Yeah. I would say it's between two. I mean, obviously, I, I like a lot of sports. I like hockey. I like baseball. Um, I, I do like basketball. Um, I go back and forth. I love college basketball more so than pro, but I, I mean, I still like basketball at heart. Um, and I would say it's between college basketball or tennis. Those two, I am a pretty big tennis fan. I grew up playing tennis, played tennis all throughout junior high and in high school. Like that was my sport. That was a sport that I was best at is tennis. So I have just a knack for any sort of racket sport. So I do follow it. I try to watch like, especially all the big tournaments. I'll watch all the big tournaments during the day. Uh, don't really follow it much from like a gambling or fantasy standpoint, just cause like once I go down a rabbit hole like that, you know, it just what I need another hobby like that, that takes up like 20 hours of my week. Um, right. but I do like to watch it. I mean, I do like to always follow it and watch it when it's on. And I enjoy kind of just sitting back and watching a tennis match. Uh, if there's nothing else on TV. So yeah, I would say tennis and uh, probably a close third or interchangeable with college basketball. Is there any sport that you wish you could get more into that you're curious about, but just don't have the time or, or whatnot? Uh, I would actually say, I would say MMA. MMA. Okay. I, I like, I like, I love watching MMA. I love watching boxing, uh, but there's, there's just so much, uh, what's the word like, uh, politics in those sports. Mm. And there's not a lot of, a lot of logic that goes into the sports in terms of like, I can't really follow it. There's not a, a league necessarily. You know what I mean? There's not mm. something that just totally makes sense to me from like a win loss standings perspective. Um, that's always kind of frustrated with me with UFC is it's cool, but uh, I mean, let's be real. A lot of it comes down to, uh, views and TV ratings and popularity, you know, there's not just like a tournament. So I, I kind of wish it was in that format versus what it is, but I do definitely enjoy watching both of them. The other one I'd say is, is soccer. I have some friends that are huge, like even MLS fans and they're like, it's like a cult, you know, and right. they're EPL fans and they, they follow a bunch of different soccer leagues and, you know, I'll watch it. I love watching like the world cup and whatnot, but I just can't get into, uh, you know, I was just watching NFL with a, with a cousin of mine. That's a huge soccer fan. Mm -hmm. And he's sitting there watching soccer on his phone while we're watching red zone. And I'm <laughs> like, all right, man. Yeah. I like, he's there to watch football with me, but he's also sitting there watching soccer on his phone the whole time. Yeah. That so, kind of be like me, like sitting there watching football with you. I mean, even though I like it, but I have NASCAR on my phone, you know, same right, thing. Right. That's exactly what it was. So, but I can't yeah. get into it and I, I don't have the headspace to get into, you know, we pick our lane, we pick our sports and the other right. ones are kind of just entertainment. MMA. And, uh, I, I used to love boxing as a kid and watching boxing. So that was one, but yeah, MMA, I do like watching it like you do, but I just never been able to like fully get into it and understand all of it. Cause if like, if I got into it, I want to understand all the fighters and their styles and their records and what the rankings are and all that, but I just don't have the time. So that's, that's a really good one. The one I was going to bring up was golf. I really do enjoy watching golf and, 
getting into golf. Like I definitely watch the masters all the time. Masters is definitely the first one. Like I'll watch like all four days and get into it. The British open, obviously that's another big one that I'll watch and get into, but yeah, I wish I could get, had more time to like pay attention more to golf and watch golf. I think I would enjoy that too. Yep. Yep. Golf's always fun to watch uh, the big tournaments and the drama that comes with it, but I totally agree with you. Yep. So, all right, man, that is it for us this week. Uh, I am at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter. You can follow me there and you can also follow the show at America's game pod as well. And Scott, close us out, man. Yep. You can follow me at uh, Charles chill FFB. Uh, everything in the Twitter bio is uh, where I'm creating content. Uh, and yeah, be on the lookout for the new show that's coming up. Uh, I think October 3rd is going to be the inaugural episode. So I'll definitely announce that, come up with a show title, uh, kind of just get on there and uh, roll for the first time and see what it's like. So good stuff, Eric. Yeah, always good stuff, man. And uh, like I said, congratulations again, man. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the new show. Should be good. So, all right, guys, until next week, we will see you.